God, for no other reason than His love, has showed them grace and mercy, has showed us grace and mercy and drawn us to Himself. And what Paul is doing here is saying somehow that reality of the Trinity's involvement in our lives, in our world, changes the whole way we have to look at life and how we operate. Now, one of the things we talked about on Thursday night with the Truth Project was how specifically that the gospel shows us or how the Trinity shows us a working pattern within the world. We see in the home, right? Father, mother, children, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see within uh, the church, we see the reality of Christ being the head, the elders being there kind of like the mother, and the laity or the body of Christ being like the children, those who are, are being born out and live, living out the gospel. And now I want you to consider the workplace, that we see a Trinitarian reality taking place here. If you notice in chapter 9 what we see, we see this reality of the Lord, we see the reality of the masters, and we see the reality of the servants. To put it in our modern context, we have the Lord, who is over all things, everywhere, even if people don't acknowledge him. We see the employers, or the owners, and we see employees. Again, we see this Trinitarian context of the workplace. And so when we begin to look at our work, we have to see that God is there in the way he's at work. We see his calling, his imprint, and that has to begin to impact how we think about work. And it does. Paul is saying, God's presence in your life and your ability, because what does the gospel do? It gives us the ability to recognize God's presence in our world. We see him there. We know he's there. We look at sunsets in a completely different way. It's not to say that an unbeliever can't look at a sunset and see its beauty and see its glory but he attributes that glory and that beauty to something other than the triune God who made all things. And so it is with that that as we begin to look at our workplace, what, I'm, what I want to commend to you is that you begin to look at your workplace not just as this thing you do, but as this glorious place where God has gone before you and you see His imprint there and it's your calling to live in such a way that you begin to draw people to see that. Now last week we began to look at that as we considered how employees, how servants should do their master's good, should do their employer's good, should strive to be people who live out the gospel in such a way that even their employers might be drawn to say, what is so different about these people? who work so diligently, who strive to do me good, that they might even be awakened to the fact of where they are not being the kind of employers that they ought to be, that they're not treating people in the manner that they ought to be treated. See, that's what we're praying for. Not that we have the in-your-face kind of approach, but rather what the text was drawing us to is that we would, even without a word, work in such a way that people would be drawn to faith. Now, as we begin to turn now to these ideas of what's happening here in this passage in, in verse 9 specifically, I want you to consider what Paul is saying here. He says, Masters do the same to them, which begins to draw us back into what was just said. Masters, what I just said to servants, that's what I want you to consider. Employers, 
what I just said to your employees, I want you to think about. And the first point I want us to consider that this begins to transform and change is the call to equality. What we see happening here is this equality that's taking place. And what I want you to think about is this. In the Trinity itself, who's more important? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Who's more important? Which one of them has greater value? Who has more power? I mean, think about what we've been taught in our confessions. Think about what the Scriptures themselves teach us about God. God is one. There is no distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet there is distinction of economy or roles. So clearly what Paul's not saying here is, is that there's, you, you should not have any employers or employees. There should be no distinction. That's obviously not what he's saying. But he is saying that in the attitude that you treat a person, in the value that you place upon them, whether slave or free, whether male or female, whether Jew or Greek, whether Scythian or barbarian, if that person is a person in Christ, you have to think about them in a completely different way. You must. Why? Because the Trinity thinks about themselves in a completely different way than most of humanity thinks about themselves. We create caste systems. There are those who are obviously better and more important because of various achievements they've had. And yet what we see in the Trinity itself is none of that. In fact, in Christ, we have the most prolific example, isn't it? Jesus not seeing equality with God, something to be clutched onto and grabbed after, became a man. Why? To serve. The Master became as a servant. And so we see within the Trinity this ever-flowing reality of glorifying one another and serving one another and always looking out for the other's best because they view one another with an equality of personhood. There is no clutching and grabbing after what another has. It is a rejoicing in the fact that this is God. And if you think about what we're called to, men and women, our first and foremost calling in this life is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to remind you again, as I have in the past, that is exactly what the Trinity models for us. The love of the Lord first. Because the Trinity loves one another. They are all one God. And therefore, we see this reality taking place, and that begins to draw upon us as Paul looks at this passage in Ephesians. So we've seen that Galatians 3 and Colossians 3, where we see this distinction removed in the sense of equality, this sense of looking at somebody as better, is taken away. Equality also does not dismiss that there are, there are rules and regulations that must be maintained and followed. Some people want to say, oh, well, if it's equality, then you have a right to have expectations of me or to, or to demand that I act in a certain way. But clearly, that's not what this passage teaches. Clearly, this passage in no way, shape, or form suggests that workers ought to stop working or that employers ought to stop paying. Clearly, there's a sense in which the way we see the world operating, that there is an expectation of how things should flow. If an employee, like Proverbs says, does not work, unfortunately, the reality and the consequences of life bear on him. He shall not eat. The, the point here is, is that the reality is, is that we're not looking at something here in this equality which takes away expectations of how one should live any more than the gospel says, because Jesus has done it all for you, therefore go and live like the devil. That's a ridiculous statement, and Paul repudiates that view in Romans 6. As Christ 
died so that we might sin the more? No. Galatians, do not use your freedom for sin, brothers, to give the flesh opportunity. So in the same way we see as employers and employees, we are people who should be looking as Christians at a way of serving and loving others But that does not free us from expectations. That does not free us from disciplinary measures to draw us. If you're late for work continuously, that's going to have an effect on you. If you're taking excessive coffee breaks, that's a problem. In the same way, though, Paul is addressing employers or masters and saying, if you're abusive and threatening, rather than having clear expectations of what you want done and how you want it done, it becomes overbearing. It kind of reminds us of what fathers are not told to do to their children. You know, changing the rules as you go along. The idea here is that they would be caring for them, not exasperating them. In the same way, employers are called to treat their employees as they would want to be treated. Not with constant movement and change of expectations, but rather, here's what we're doing, here's the plan, let's see to it that we can carry it out. Paul, as I said before, is addressing worth. Now, the, also, the, under, the thing that Colossians brings to the table, if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, I want us to look there because Colossians addresses a similar issue here as it begins to talk about it. But I want us to look, before it gets there, up here at chapter 3. I want you to hear what Paul says in verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, from Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. This is what he says. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I want you to think about this. If you're an employer, if you're a manager, if you're the boss, what would it be like to come to work for a person who was truly pursuing the holiness of God? Truly wanted to see God's righteousness spread throughout the earth. Truly wanted to see those type of activities going on in your employment. And I'm not just talking about the easy things of saying, okay, we're not going to work on, have work on Sundays or we're going to do this. I'm saying have a hard attitude which really does desire to see your people, your employees, seeing the goodness of God so that you would treat them in such a way that you would have a compassionate heart to them, that you would actually care about what's happening in their worlds. That if they're having a hard time, that it's not just about the bottom line. It's about them as human beings. Whether or not they're Christians, they see a compassionate hearted person. That they would see someone who is genuinely kind. Someone who is not always looking to boast themselves up, but operates with humility. Understands who he is. And doesn't see himself as better than them, but as one of them who's called to serve them in a unique capacity as they've been called to serve him in a unique capacity. That you would operate with meekness and with patience. What would it look like? Now I realize in our congregation there might not be that many of us who find ourselves in a position where we can affect policy in that significant way. But if you are a manager, what would it look like to be a manager and to manage, at least with these principles in the back of your mind, as you strive to serve the employer you've been called to? What would it look like if you actually are the owner and you begin to establish? See, Paul is saying that somehow you have to begin to process the gospel and begin to, by measure, implement it into your life. 
Implement it into your workplace. Implement it into how you begin to view and care about other people. And that begins with having a view of saying, every single person that I go to work with is made in the image of God, which makes us equal. There is no distinction. And if those people that you happen to be working with happen to be Christians, the ante is up because not only are they made in the image of God originally and fallen, but they're now being renewed in their hearts and minds. And they have, you've been called to love them as brothers and sisters in Christ because the same master loves you the same way he loves them. That's the calling. See how important this notion of equality that the gospel brings is. And you understand, we said this somewhat last week, but you understand that if an employer, if a master begins to get hold of this, and if servants, even slaves, begin to get hold of this view, do you understand that Paul doesn't have to openly say anything about slavery? How long can an institution like that last if this really starts to be how people begin to treat one another? That's the first point I want us to consider. The next one I want us to consider then is the call to justice. That's really what Paul is getting at here when he says, knowing that he is who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. This notion of justice, this notion of how you operate with people should have a sense of not merely fairness but justice. Consider that God does not play favorites. How hard it is. We talked about this if we have multiple children. It's so difficult sometimes because you'll have a child or a couple of children that resonate with you and you resonate with them and you'll have that one child that they're just hard. They find you difficult to deal with and you find them difficult to deal with. How much more so is this in a workplace? Especially as a boss. You've got, you know, you've got Johnny Christian over here who just, he can't work hard enough for you. Every time you say jump, he says, hey, can I go higher than last time? I hope that's what you have in Johnny Christian. Unfortunately, I've worked enough in the marketplace to see oftentimes Christians be sometimes the most slothful, lazy people. I can still remember working at Federal Express and a guy kept being brought up on charges because he basically had become a Christian and would sit at his post where he was supposed to be making sure that this system was running right and that boxes were being pushed off in a certain manner and that the system wasn't breaking boxes or anything like that. And because in general... This ought to be comforting for those of you who ship FedEx. In general, those things are pretty accurate and usually no boxes are destroyed. You can, it can become kind of a monotonous job because you're just kind of watching. Punk, 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 punk. And as long as it's doing its job, there's nothing to do. And so he would sit up there and read his Bible. And when he was brought up on charges by his manager, he said, I'm just trying to redeem the time. I'm just trying to use my time well for the Lord. I mean, I'm sitting here doing my job. I mean, you, you laugh, but men and women, I, I've heard even more bizarre stories than that of how Christians can use their Christianity to somehow justify being lazy or doing what they want to do, which is just outright disobedience. The thing I want us to consider then, though, is that with justice is this notion that, and playing favorites is that if that's the case, it's always easy for a boss to look at the employee that they tend to like with. Oh, this employee will go out and party with me. Or this employee will go out and do the things I like to do. Or this employee doesn't seem to let his family get in the way of the bottom line. See, we all know that as Christians, we're going 
to suffer. Employees who make choices in a Christian way, if you're not going to sacrifice your family on the altar of advancement, it's going to cost you choices. The same thing is true, though, for a Christian employer. Because the issue of the bottom line often is driving so much of the discussion that the treatment and the fairness of people and even how we view people and how we have an expectation of people and who we tend to draw to ourselves and connect with is often changed and transformed. Not necessarily in a positive way because we're allowing the bottom line of the world to drive us. Now, please don't hear me saying this, and please don't hear Paul saying this, and don't let me appear to be saying that Paul is saying this, that the bottom line of, of our financial stability and viability is not important. Of course it is. What I'm suggesting is, is that if we really begin to get into this sense of this is God's world and it works in a certain way and when you do things the way God intended for it to be done, chances are it might actually work. See, how many of us have gone to places where people just tend to make us feel good about being there? We're just, we like being there. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. That's one of the reasons why I like going to Starbucks. When I walk into Starbucks, they know my name. They know my drink. They know that I want a venti water with my drink. And they have it all sitting there at the counter as I walk because they saw my car drive up. <laughs> How many places do you go where people treat you like that? Very few. So could it be that the reason why Starbucks is being successful is because they've actually tapped into something of God's stuff, which is that when you treat people with dignity, when you actually know their name, when you actually care about them, when that they showed up to give their money to you, you actually act like you care about them. Now the amazing thing is, is that while Starbucks sells that as a line, it is incredible to me how many of those employees really buy into that as a way of life. It's phenomenal. How much more so ought people who know the truth of the gospel to live? Should Starbucks be the place that people say, this is my third place? It's work, it's home, and it's Starbucks. Oh, that it be it's work and it's home and it's someplace with the people of God. Because when I'm with these people, they treat me in such a way that it's infectious. See, that's what Paul's trying to say. If masters would get a hold of this and begin to treat their employees in this manner, they might see an impact. Working at FedEx again, one of the things I still remember, it, so they did their job. They did their job graining me into their philosophy of work. People, service, profit. We take care of our people. They'll provide excellent service to the customers. We'll make money. That almost sounds like what Paul's saying in Ephesians. That's Fred Smith. He made a C on it in business school when he promoted that view. And I can tell you that, at least from my interactions with Fred Smith, which were very small, don't, don't think there was any visions of grandeur, but I did talk to him on several occasions. I've seen him interviewed multiple times. I don't know that Fred Smith is any rank-and-file believer, that he really holds Jesus Christ up in any sense, but he has grabbed hold of the stuff and figured out that when you use God's stuff, it actually works. And what I'm saying is, how can Christians not latch on to this and see that when we follow and honor the Lord in the way He has made our world, when we are people whose eyes have been opened to see it, how can we not operate that way with justice and mercy? 
The last thing I want to say when it comes to justice is this. I want you to think about most of the things that happen in our world when it comes to labor strikes, when it comes to activity of employers thinking they have to look at a situation one way and employees thinking, no, we have to look at a situation this way. We're at odds. You know, there's labor and there's management. If we begin to get the ethic of the Bible, what we begin to see is this. If I begin to think about your rights instead of my own, all of a sudden, strikes and walkouts begin to take on a very different look. Don't they? See, because what really is it about if an employer basically is saying, the bottom line's the bottom line, and that's all that's going to drive me, and therefore every way we can cut corners and make more money for us, that's what we're going to do, to the point that employees basically say, we can't live like this any longer. But then what often happens is employees tend to get rather greedy and say, well, they gave us this. If we all walk out and say, we're not going to make any more widgets for you, we'll get this. And you begin to see this antithesis of, if, you, if I don't look out for my own rights, who's going to look out for them? But see, the gospel has nothing to do with that. Jesus Christ laid an example for us, lived it out on our behalf. He who had every right to demand his rights gave up his rights. This is the creator of the entire universe. There's not a speck of dust anywhere in this universe that's not Jesus that he can't lay claim to. And yet he walked on earth and allowed people that he had made that his very word held them together as they spit on him, as they nailed him to a tree, as they cut down that tree. It was the Lord of grace who the scriptures tell us holds all things together, including spittle, including nails, including trees. So that justice might be served on him and not on us. So that mercy might be shown to us when what we deserved was the wrath of God. Now see, if we begin to be people who begin to latch onto that, whether we be masters and employers or owners, or we be employees, if we really start to own up and say, I desire to see the rights of my employer served. And if a employer comes to work as a Christian and said, I desire to see the rights of my employees served. How might the workplace start to be transformed? And maybe, just maybe, we might find out that profitability and the bottom line isn't even something we have to worry that much about because we're doing all the things that really, at the end of the day, essentially matter, which is the care of other human beings, loving our neighbor as ourselves. See, because as a, as a person, I want someone to remember that I have rights. And what the gospel tells me to is since that's something you know innately that you want your rights remembered, what ought you to do to others? Remember their rights. Care for them. Look out for the other person. 
Now, this has been incredibly convicting in some bizarre ways. And let me just say some of the ways it's convicting. Isn't it convicting to you as you're driving along? I don't know how everybody in here, some of you are just such nice drivers. I, I just, I just, I, I aspire to be like you. But see, I've seen many of you drive and many of you have driven with me. So we'll, we'll cut, we'll cut the illusions. The bottom line is, if you really start to think about this, how often when you're in a hurry because you didn't get up on time or you stayed too long at where you, were, where you weren't supposed to be and so you're not going to arrive where you were supposed to be on time, become maniacs behind this wheel, not thinking about anybody else but yourself. I've got to get on time. Why are these lights so long? Who's the idiot, that the city planner that planned the lights and why aren't they changing it? Don't they see more traffic here? And who's, I mean, just think about all the ways we can start to run through our minds and how we begin to treat other people because it all of a sudden very easily becomes about me. All of a sudden you start to realize that if you get hold of this ethic, this principle that's working within the Trinity, your home life will begin to change. Your work life will begin to change. Your school life will begin to change. What would it be like if Christian students who go to Christian schools actually act Christianly to one another? What would that be like? Number one, the principal might resign and say, I have no business being around these people. But what would it look like? What would it look like for children to go to school and actually care about the other person more than they care about themselves? What would it look like for teachers to stand up in front of students and care more about the students' well-being than about whether or not the students like them or think they're cool? Or maybe it's the opposite way. I don't want the students to think I'm cool. I want them to think I'm, I'm a hard-nosed professional teacher. But what if you just showed compassion and care? What if students started showing that kind of compassion and care towards one another? What would it start to look like? You see what's happening here? You see how the gospel is beginning to get underneath what's really, and this is our third point, by the way, equality, justice, third point. What's really underneath it all is relationship, isn't it? It's the call to be relational with other people. It's called to give a rip that you showed up today. To care about those people in such a way that they're overwhelmed with your caring kindness to them, with your compassion to them, with your generosity to them. These are people you work with all the time. Your neighbors. Your friends. See, what happens when we begin to see God for who He is in His nature and see how the gospel is an outward reflection of that and how it begins to change us and transform us into a completely different people? Because we really do care about other people. We care about the relationship with other people. Other people matter. What happens when we stop demanding our own rights and start demanding other people's rights? I would contend with you that many frustrations in the churches would go away. Because much of the ado in churches and schisms and division are about people's rights. My rights aren't being met. I'm not getting my way. But what happens if we start to become people who say, what I want is others to be served. I care more about other people than myself. The relationship matters vastly more than me getting my way. How do we begin 
to change and transform into those kind of people. Well, it requires a complete reversal of the fall, right? Because we see what happens at the fall is the relationship with the world around us, we became at enmity with it. And it certainly became at enmity with us. We see relationships with one another. Adam and Eve turned against one another. We see internal guilt and shame of Adam and Eve towards themselves. And we see that their relationship with God is cut off. The only thing that can change that is a return to that God who is able to instruct us, show by example how He lives and operates. Most prolifically, we've seen it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And amazingly enough, Jesus doesn't merely call us and say, come follow me and do what I did. Actually, what He says is, come follow me in light of what I've done. If you're a person here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, does not really know God, in some ways, maybe even some of the things I'm saying, you're saying, that's just insanity, that's just crazy. I invite you to consider what life might be like if you submitted yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I want to be the kind of person that really does care about other people more than myself. I really want to be a person who is not always about the bottom line. I want to be a person who really loves others well and is able to be a part of a community where I can experience that kind of love. And I invite you this morning to confess your sins. There's a confession, there's a prayer in our bulletin that we have for people to use during the Lord's Supper if they're not able to partake because they're not yet believers. I would encourage you to look at that prayer and to pray that prayer and to make that prayer your own. If you're still a person who's searching and says, I just, I'm just not there yet, Dennis, I want to be, then I would pray, ask you to consider that prayer of, of a person who's searching. Think about it. Ask the Lord to open your hearts. But men and women, for those of us who do know the Lord Jesus Christ, we do know Him. Let's begin today to say that we want our homes, our families, our workplaces, our schools to look differently. Not because it's changed at all, but because we've changed. And therefore, we can't look at it the same way ever again. We can't go to work the same way ever again. We can't go home and look at our neighbors the same way ever again. We can't show up for the first day of school the same way we did last year. We're different people because God has illuminated our hearts and showed us that not only there is a way to live differently, but that He's made that way possible. And as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and as we look to Him and not ourselves, we have the power and the ability to be different, transformed, transforming people. And I pray that God makes it so in our midst today and throughout the rest of this year and beyond. Amen.